HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, this is Dana Cowan, and you are listening to Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network. For the show, I interview the most extraordinary women that I can find who inspire me with their wisdom and their work. And today, I'm in Philadelphia for a very special session because I'm here for a big summer party with the Sisterly Love Collective. And one of the people who I'm so excited to introduce you to is Krista Barfield. I was inspired by her work as an urban horticulturalist, a farmer, and the CEO of her own company, Life Leaf Organic Farms. Krista, welcome to Speaking Broadly. Thank you, Dana. Pleasure to be here. I read about your work in the community, your farming here in Philadelphia, and you grew up here. Would you ever have thought as you were a kid in Germantown that like farming and Philadelphia would go together? Um, definitely not. Not for me, at least. <laughs> you know, putting my hands in soil was something I never had done uh, in the past. This is 2022, and I hadn't touched dirt until 2018, so no. Were there farmers that you knew of who were doing urban farming? No, it wasn't even on my radar. You know, I worked in healthcare for 10 years, so that's really my background and what my focus has always been. So I'm very curious. I love a good career changer, and this seems like a great one for you. <laughs> yes. What made you choose healthcare to start with? Uh, well, you know, I was I'm raised by a healthcare professional. My mother is a. I grew up with her being a nurse, and she ended up getting her PhD in um, nursing. So she's always been that and reaching higher and higher in medicine. I always love life science and healthcare and all of that. Like listening to her tell her stories from the ER and from the the NICU and the ICU. All all of that when she came home, you know, I always wanted to be a part of that. So that's the career path that I chose. And what what were you what was your work in healthcare? Administration actually. Yeah. So I ended up being the person who would run practices, the behind the scenes, um, manage staff under me and was the intermediate between I guess my staff and the C suite. So my direct twos were the C-suite. So in having a degree in healthcare administration, you know, worked my way all the way up to be comfortable. I mean, I had my own parking spot in Center City. I felt like I... <laughs> you made I it. I felt like I made it, right? And then, um, you know, but I was also very miserable. 
And what was so miserable about the job? Just burnout. You know, I worked 16 plus hours in a day and then still had to go home and work because I have a family. So it was just all of that. There wasn't enough time for me to sustain myself as well as do all the things for all the people. Uh, And I realized that one day walking into work, um, actually January 2nd of 2018, like I never will forget this. (laughs) And I sat down on my computer early in the morning around 7.30 and started to read emails and got to one from my boss. And I started a new thread that was titled Resignation. That was it? That was it. That was a defining moment. I did not know I was going to quit my job that day. Okay, you just gave me goosebumps. Like, how does that just the thought bubble occurs to you? And then you type it, like, were you scared? Were you worried? Like, how am I now going to pay the rent? I got your kids. No, honestly, I've actually never been a person that uh, leads my life by way of fear. I, I just I think a thought and then I do it. You know, I took a bet on myself and just went forward. And I didn't know exactly what my next steps were going to be. Still at this point had never interacted with soil. So that didn't come until a couple weeks later. And I just knew that in that moment I was unhappy and I didn't have anything left to give to anybody else, not even my own family. Uh, so I knew it required me to take a step back and get to know myself again. This is also the month that I was turning 30. So, you know, it all just step by step, you know, January 2nd, I was quitting my job. January 19th, I turned 30. And then January 22nd, three weeks after resigning, I was on my way out of the country for the very first time to the beautiful island of Martinique. Now, how did you choose Martinique? Yeah, so I went to school in my particular elementary school, middle school, taught French as the language and we didn't actually have Spanish as an option and I learned French and I fell in love with the language and continued it through college and didn't have anybody to speak it with you know languages are there is memory. So when I knew I was quitting, I was turning 30. And I was like, I'm booking a flight and I'm going to Martinique. And the adventure began from there. I just have to ask, like, you're close to your mom, it seems, right? She's a a role model. You quit your job. And you're like, hi, mom, I quit my job. And she's like, probably thank goodness, because you were miserable. No, everybody thought I was kind of bizarre. They were like, you have kids, you have family, you have a car, you have a house. What are you doing? (laughs) What is happening here? Um, And, you know, I had to find ways to supplement my income, like my savings, because I didn't want to blow through it. And I didn't necessarily have a plan either. So I was like, everybody else is out here with these gig lifestyles. Let me try it. Like, what can I do? And so I devised the plan for myself. And this is the beautiful thing about organizational skills that you acquire from running somebody else's business is that they transition well. So, you know, I started to do Uber and Lyft and I was doing that from 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. in the morning. And then in the evening, I would do 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. of delivering groceries for people and shopping for people's food. And in the middle of the day is when I would figure out what next steps were going to be for my actual life, like for my future. Okay, that's amazing. So do you recommend that? Like, I think that's such an interesting approach. There's so much peace in it, to be honest. Anytime someone says to me that they they quit their job, I always congratulate them because it's just, there's just such beauty to independence, to that level of independence. And also just comfortability with yourself, knowing that you're going to be fine regardless. 
Um, And so that's what that was for me. I think a lot of people have a hard time getting over that leap of, I'm going to be fine. I mean, you don't live in fear. Most people, you know, do. And fear is such a a handcuff. And independence can feel the same way. Do you think it's something that you were brought up with? Do you think it's characterological? Like, is it something that as time has gone on, you make more decisions that are like that fast and that right for you? I definitely want to say I attribute a lot of how I move to my upbringing, um, you know, being as I was, I was raised by a single mom. So that's one huge part of it. And which is why I loved what she did so much, like healthcare, and saw how passionate she was about it and still continues to be. And I'm definitely going to attribute my wantingness to just do the things that I think to to that to that upbringing that experience and I'm also the youngest I don't know there's something to be said about being the youngest and my siblings are 11 years and nine years older than me and I was raised with them and so I was definitely the baby you know I had to depend on them for everything so I I don't know in some twisted psychological way I feel like that is definitely the reason why I am now like I can do this Not that it wasn't hard and it continues to be like entrepreneurship isn't a walk in the park. You know, we we kill what we eat. We grind for everything uh, that we we get. And so that also means we deserve everything that we get. So, you know, that's what I love about it. There's no ceiling. Absolutely no ceiling. I see nothing above me. Except blue sky. Except blue sky and the awesome sun and the beautiful rain that all of that comes together and helps my crops to grow. So Yeah, I totally (laughs) understand that. Um, Okay, so you wanted to um, have someone to speak French with and you booked yourself to Martinique. And as I read, you're like, you're kind of more concerned about the pool at the Airbnb rather than... Very much so. Yeah. That's the only reason why I picked them. And the beautiful thing, too, is that I chose two different Airbnbs because I wanted one at one part of the island and another in another area. And the very first one was closer to the airport because I knew I was getting into um, Port... Fort de France later in the evening. And so I wanted to like not have a long commute. And um, my first host was so kind as to pick me up from the airport. And we took a quick 15 minute drive right over to their home. And it was just beautiful. And how I was welcomed and um, meeting Thawich, which was part his partner from Thailand and uh, this gentleman from Lyon. And they like created this beautiful home. And they're like known as the top Airbnb in Martinique, you know, getting a chance to, to jump in their pool and have cocktails made from coconut and, and then leading into the the rest of the days that I spent with them where all my meals were prepared by Tawich, which is who is a Thai chef. And he would make cups of tea each and every day for me with herbs that he would just grab right from his garden. And it just opened my eyes. And I was like, this is health. <laughs> Um, And very different than how I had ever interacted with tea before. You know, you drink tea because you're sick. That's how why I always drink tea. You know, growing up in a household by a person who's a clinician. If you're sick here, drink some tea. Make sure you're keeping fluids in your body. It's like very scientific. The reason why I'm doing this warm liquids. But for them, it's like, no, this is the way of life. This is how we do where consistency is key. And we're incorporating herbs into our lifestyle. I know that it's so inspired you and you have your own tea growing garden and now. But what was in his their garden? Lemongrass, echinacea. Those are the two herbs that I, that I just know 
<clears throat> immediately hibiscus mm. just was lovely to like look at this cup of tea and and know that all of these things were alive um which le- led me to the name of my company which is viva leaf you know i was like this viva meaning li- life in leaf the living leaves that are in my cup and that i just was stuck on that name and then going to the the mountains of the island and you know, getting there and, and having a very similar experience with a coconut cocktail. <laughs> These are all, I guess, you know, they grow in everybody's backyards, apparently. And after having that one experience with the gentleman who owned that property, he said to me, I understand that it's your birthday and I know you're here alone. Uh, I would love for one of my sons to come pick you up and they can take you around the island tomorrow. I had an opportunity to have one of his sons, AJ, come and pick me up, drove me all around. And then at a point he was like, I have to go to work. You are welcome to come with me or I can drop you back off at the house. And I didn't even ask any questions further. Like, sure, I'm coming. Let's go. And when I got there, it was a a beautiful, picturesque property they had all these fruits and vegetables that were there and herbs of all kinds and I saw his team packing boxes of produce and I didn't have any language for what I was looking at I just saw them doing so I just joined in and I just started to pack boxes the way they were like making sure that there was one of each thing that was available in these boxes and I also saw them put this white envelope on it And then the real reward of that whole visual experience was I started to see people walking into the space, going to their box and dropping 20 euros in the white envelope and leaving with their box. And I was like, this is amazing. Like I had never seen anything like that. So going home after having this experience with the tea, you know, seeing a farm in action, people coming to pick up food, I needed to put language to all of this. Uh, And that was the next step. So it was a version of a CSA. Right. Everybody had the same thing and then you just roll with it. So I ended up creating a CSA model, very similar to what I saw, but also still incorporating the traditional way it happens in the States where, yes, we do totally appreciate payments and people who can purchase up front like that. But there are people that can't. You know, I come from an underserved community, still live in an underserved community, even as Germantown is transforming. So we, you know, we'll take a down payment and then you pay weekly. Now, this might be too hard to nail, but you came back, you were inspired. But was that idea of turning farming or CSA into your life's work, did that come as quickly as quitting did? Or did that evolve over time? Or were there other things you were considering? Yeah, as soon as I got off the plane, like, I mean, I knew as soon as I had these experiences, and like the trip had ended, and I was like, I know exactly what I'm doing. I literally came home and I started a tea company and I started a farm. Like those were the things. That's what that middle of the day in between five to nine and five to nine on both ends of the day, that's what took place in the middle. Like the plan was there and not now it was time for me to execute. Tell me about launching the tea company. Yeah. So We Believe Tea is this this beautiful, oh goodness, just this outward expression of my healthcare career reincarnated. That's literally what it is. So I I wanted to l- look at the the medicinal potency of herbs and say, like, okay, there's science, there are 
you know, shamans. There's all types of people that say that herbs do these things. And then if you look at it from an African diasporic standpoint, even Asian diasporic standpoint and Ayurvedic and all of that, there's just so much that tells us consistent consumption of herbs is very beneficial to our persons um, and our healthcare systems. And I wanted to tap into that. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to start growing herbs first. And where am I doing this? I have no idea. How am I doing this? I've never touched soil. Where do you get seeds from? Because I knew I wanted to grow the herbs. I didn't want just a regular run of the mill company where everybody's ordering herbs from who knows where. You don't know that farmer. You don't know how they grew it. I wanted to literally know where the crops were coming from, know where the food came from because tea is food as well. And I started to really just talk about it with people. I was really deliberate in expressing my passion to my close circle of family and friends. And after they got over the over the shock that, yes, I really did quit my job and I was not going back <laughs> to anything that looked like that. Uh, I was very clear that I would never work for somebody in that capacity ever again um, that I was I stood firm on four years ago and still have to this day. One of my very close friends at the time purchased me a greenhouse. Uh, a small one, a four by six foot greenhouse that fit r- very snugly in my concrete backyard in Germantown. And that was my Mother's Day gift. And that was the most exciting thing because I was like, all right, I don't know how you put this together. We're going to figure it out. And that May of 2018 is really when I really got to do it. All the planning from, you know, pretty much the end of January up until May, all the planning took place. I wrote a business plan over and over again. And I also found a place local, which was where the local CSA was close to my house and they also were growing a ton of herbs on their farm so I got to go visit there and I would take herbs from their farm so I can start planning the flavors and like saying like okay these are the medicinal benefits and these are the flavors you know medicinal benefits and tasting good don't always go hand in hand you know figuring out how much of this you needed the recipe I was creating recipes I was doing R&D research and development on the on these items while I was also growing my own things and I started to have uh, enough very small amounts of my own stuff. So I started to blend it with the other local farms. And then I decided to host my very first tea tasting at the corner of my block, which was also a community garden that exists there. When I first launched the brand, it started out with six teas uh, and they all were tea number one through tea number six. And then I delved in deeper and everyone now has a name. Like we do a pain management tea. There's a calm and relaxed tea. There's a digest and detox. There's mindfulness mint. So the names also coincide with what they will help your body do. So how do you think about like the work that your mother does or just the entire healthcare industry versus, you know, the herbal approach to medicine? You know, I always thought about the difference between MDs and DOs and like the the different approaches to medicine, Um, naturopathic being one as well. And there's a balance that's required. I truly believe that we're, we're dealing with too many issues that already exist that need some immediate assistance that herbs can't take care of. They can help subside it, but there's still conventional medicine that's necessary. So you kind of have to blend the two. I love the idea of being able to teach people as young as possible to know that you use this now so you don't need to use the, the pharmaceuticals later. So it's that balance between pharmacy and pharmacy, the F-A-R-M-A-C-Y. Like I love to tell people about that as soon as 
as possible. So working with kids and working with young adults to make them aware is key. And then also not leaving out our older populations, like making sure that we are letting them know, like, you can use this and this. Like, I know you're on this, you know, HCL, high blood pressure medication and all this stuff, but like, let's incorporate, have some turmeric today. It's not just about keeping yourself healthy. That's a part of it. But you also just feel better, you know, having this ritual that's really about you. It's the interest inspection of self and like being able to take a moment instead of moving so fast as we do in America. What about your kids? Like, like, hey, you have a headache. I have some tea for you. I always tell them to drink tea. Like, my, <laughs> Literally, my son just told me yesterday I have a headache. And I was like, oh, drink some tea. And in the Caribbean, in African diaspora, that is always has been the thing. Um, I am not Caribbean natively, right? So like, and I don't have that experience, that, that life experience. So I just think it's so peculiar that that has always been how their families raised them to say like, oh, something's wrong with you drink some tea and now that's what I'm doing as well so the tea business got up and running and you launched a brick and mortar yep I launched a brick and mortar but the first time I actually took the tea out on the road I'll say my first vending event was in September of 2019 that was the first time like really being out like trying to get people to, to buy it from me and the very first time I ever took my product out was at Bach Bar uh, amazing old used to be a school Bach Technical High School they do a black party every year and I applied to be a vendor and I was chosen as a vendor and the first time that at that event there was the the buyer for De Bruno Brothers which is the like you know specialty grocer in this area and I didn't know who he was at the time he walked up to me he had his baby strapped to his chest and he had his rainbow flip-flops on and his shorts and he just comes over and he's tasting the honey and he's like this is amazing and I'm like thank you you know all the while I still don't know who he is to me he's just a person that I'm interacting with and talking about honey and tea with and um and he says to me like have you ever thought about UPCing and I was like what (laughs) like I didn't have a clue what that meant essentially it's the barcode that's on the back of every product you ever purchased ever and it was just a great conversation from there very briefly we chatted and he was like you know I'd love for you to come into my office and then I'm just like could you remind me where'd you say you were from again and he was like oh I'm the senior buyer for DeBruno Brothers and I was just like okay and then I'm like Krista you know DeBruno Brothers like what is that you've worked downtown forever like we're you know what this is and then when he walked away he get he left me with his card and then I looked it up and I was like oh them (laughs) and then I was like you know in their office within two weeks like having a meeting about placing my product on their shelves my first time at you know out in public how do you feel about kismet or the idea of things happening for a reason or fate that's just been my life with every experience everything even you know with the greenhouses and all of the turmoil it always happens the way it's supposed to So I don't, you know, give too much energy to things that aren't serving me. I'm learning to get better and better at that as life has continues to go on um, because I know everything is working for my greater good. It's a good belief to have. You know, you've been through a lot of turmoil. So to believe that through the turmoil and on the other side is particularly powerful. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new series on Heritage Radio Network called The Culinary Call Sheet, where we give a peek into the back kitchen of culinary media. I'm your host, April Jones. And I'm your co-host, Darren Bresnitz. Part of why we started this show was to offer an unofficial mentorship for anyone who is interested in learning about all aspects of food and video, whether that's TV, social media, online, online 
or just something you want to do for fun. Absolutely. What was once niche or a little silly, as I'm sure you remember, Darren, when we started out. Yes, ma'am. Has now become such a massive playing field for so many creatives using food as the medium. It's something that has driven us professionally and personally for so many years. What excites me the most about this show is that we're going to sit down with some of the industry leaders to hear how they made it and what drew them into this industry. With 20 years in the culinary production game ourselves, we're hoping we can give, through these conversations, an insider's view into personal stories from the field, as well as an in-depth behind-the-scenes look into some of the most popular food programming in today's evolving culinary media landscape. We'll be covering everything from how to style your food, to how to license IP, to developing your own ideas, and some tips from the masters of how to host your own show. Yeah, it's a little bit of conversation, how to, and how do you do the things that you do in culinary media, which I'm so excited about. I love so many of the guests that are coming on this season. We have talent from Food Network, from Vice Media, Eater, Refinery29. We've met some of the best people in the world, both in front of and behind the camera. And we're bringing them all together to share their stories, their delicious adventure, and their unique journey into this crazy world. So to be the first to hear our episodes when they launch this fall, go to wherever podcasts are streaming and hit subscribe and make sure to give us a follow at the Culinary Call Sheet on Instagram. So let's just talk a little bit about, you know, this great opportunity with greenhouses that came your way and then um, what transpired after that. You know, I had been farming and uh, starting to grow more. I found a larger space uh, than my greenhouse. I had about 3,000 square feet of land, not too far, maybe about 10, 15 minutes from my house. And then I got an article for the tea company in the Enquirer. That was my very first time having something in the paper. And that was March 10th of 2020 when that published and uh, a gentleman reached out to me after he saw the article and was like, Hey, I have these greenhouses. It's like 40,000 square feet of greenhouse. I'd love for you to come look at them. And I did went to go look at the property and, you know, I declined pretty quickly after seeing them, you know, they're amazing. But I was like, I've literally been farming for five minutes. We are not <laughs> going to go from 3000 square feet to 40,000. <laughs> like that's absurd. And at this time I'm still doing all the things by myself. So it's like, this is not a smart idea idea so you know respectfully declined and about a month later he reaches out again and he's like hey I really think this is a perfect opportunity for you come on come back let's talk about it and let's see what we can do Um, and then that second meeting I just was like all right let's go (laughs) like let's just do it Um, So I jumped into bumping my operation up. It just was lovely to see how much I was able to grow and how quickly in that space, like how fast I was able to get transplants ready and seeds germinated and all of that. But then, you know, winter came. And so unfortunately, the the heat didn't just turn on like you think it would at your house. Right. It just didn't happen like that. These are large boilers that ran this whole entire property at one point in time for a florist operation before us. And they they required some tinkering before they were just going to work. So now us being in the midst of our season and having a CSA that used to be 10 family CSA to now having a 50 family CSA because I have the space, it just was rough. It was very rough when there was no heat and we lost all of our crops. 
every last one. Uh, I still had staff I needed to pay. I remember like pulling money out of my own personal savings and like just giving them cash (laughs) because I was like, I have to pay y'all and I appreciate y'all and I want y'all here, but like times are rough right now. And without us having heat, you know, ended up laying off a bunch of people. And um, I thought that was it. Like I really did. Our community um, did a really good job because I expressed to them what was going on. And I was like, I need to be able to pay rent. I would love to get us through the winter. So we raised $12,000 in about 48 hours through a GoFundMe, which was great. But still, again, because that's what I had asked for. And so then I realized, like, you probably, like, undercut yourself because there's still so much else. Your rent is very expensive here, (laughs) you know? I didn't have a business attorney yet. I just jumped right in. And so, yeah, lesson learned, but we still had to rectify the situation at hand. And by the end of March of 2021, I just was like, I think this is it. So we ended up leaving that property the end of April after having that catastrophe. I was like busy licking my wounds a little bit, but never stopping to think about what the next steps were going to be because that's how I'm wired. So I'm like, okay, so that didn't work out. Let me move on to here. So I just I'm back in the city. You know, I walk through my own neighborhood to see if there was any fresh fruits available, like who's selling what and to ask the owners if they would be willing to source produce from a local farmer um, that also happened to be organic. And they all of them were like, no, every last one. I went to five different ones. Everyone said no. Because it would perish. It was too perishable and it was too expensive. Even from the expensive portion, like I definitely would have worked with them, but having something die on the shelf, no. And I understand that from a business perspective. So it's like, okay, so now we're dealing with the psychology of the consumer. Like how do we get y'all together and help you to realize like you actually deserve fresher food that's organic and grown closer to you? And what was the answer? You know, education. Because I remember my experience as a child going to field trips and one of the field trips is pretty normal for an elementary schooler is going to a farm and going to that farm I never ever recall them saying to me that you know we grow the food and then people eat it like that never connected for me ever I remember seeing Wilbur the fattest pig in the region (laughs) you know I remember bobbing for apples the apple pies and the ice cream but I never remembered anyone saying like you know, we grow your food on the farm and then that's what goes to your supermarket and then you eat it. And then I realized why is because the food that's actually grown on our farms that are closer to us is not in the grocery store that's near us, which is so bonkers to me. Yeah, so I wanted to see changes in so many areas and I wanted to also give people the the understanding that they can, if they want, grow their own food. And this is how you do it. Even if you have a concrete backyard like me, we can contain our garden. You know, if you can't afford a, this greenhouse that I was blessed to have, you can still grow some things in front in your front steps or even in your windowsill and like let me and my team show you how. Which birthed the location on Germantown Avenue, which is my storefront that is called Farmer John Greenery. We opened that this Earth Day of 2022. And, you know, that space is all about reconnecting food and farming. I know. So you've done a ton of education there. And you also got an award for the shop. We've had a, a, quite a few different awards that have come through. I got a wellness award, uh, you know, best community wellness leader uh, named by Philadelphia Magazine. So I was truly honored to be part of Best of uh, for 2022. 
And, uh, you know, the accolades keep on coming. And and what I love about it so much is that all I'm doing is the work that I enjoy doing. I'm not doing anything extra. I see the needs based off my own experience. So everything I've done was literally because it was something that I needed and didn't have. So now I got to make it. And now have you researched something of the history of urban farming in America Yeah, there's so many layers to that. Urban areas uh, traditionally have predominantly black people in them. So from an urban farming perspective, a lot of what people do all over, regardless of uh, race or socioeconomic status, you grow food as a hobby is what most people are doing. You're not necessarily looking at it as the way to keep food in your house. You know, people grow food and they still go to the grocery store primarily. And they might not even eat the food they're growing. It's more of like an activity, gardening and all of that. And um, and then I started to look deeper into, you know, black people farming. And I realized that in the early 1900s, there were over a million black farmers in the nation. And then because land was starting to give back to us and then, you know, there was also then sharecropping started to happen where land started to be taken back. And and then you get to 2022 and there's only 45,000 farms that are black owned and then only 33,000 of those are actually black run. So you can see like that drastic decrease. And that's because of, you know, the the colonization of the outdoors, which we're working to reverse. And and then also the trauma that's attached to soil. Our ancestry is just so riddled with stigma as it pertains to farming and farming is directly correlated to our food and our food is directly correlated to our health. So then health disparities. Now I'm all in. Right. Because like this is my work. This is back to what I've been so passionate about forever is healthcare and the health of people. And so now I love the idea of being able to, again, reincarnate this career that I've spent all these years mastering and now it's coming full circle. So when you think about the changes that you're able to make for the community, um, what are the things that you're looking forward to the most? Empowering people to see their own strength in creating food ways for themselves. I want people to know that you can grow your own food. And if you don't want to, because that's, I mean, it's another time thing, right? Like we live in America, there's time deficits all over the place. (laughs) You know, I want people to know that if you don't want to grow your own food, you absolutely should know who your farmer is. And I realized that I can't do all the work. Um, So I started a nonprofit sector of Farmer John this year, Farmer John and Friends Foundation Fund. Um, And I hired a chief operating officer for that. And his name is Brandon Ritter. And he is, you know, has been farming for years and he has all this experience with education. And our goal this year was to have our very first cohort of black and brown farmers that we were training that wanted to do farming and agricultural work that impacted urban communities. Doesn't necessarily mean you even need to live in here. You don't have to live here. You can live anywhere because this type of work is necessary all over the nation and even beyond. I'm fascinated by the idea of of urban gardening, its history, and also the power for all of us moving forward. Because it, as you say, it doesn't take a lot. It, it it could be a windowsill. It's not like you need an acre. Right. It's like, what do you what, what's feasible for you? And like, start with one thing. Uh, and I always give people the idea of scallions, you know, green onion, simplest thing to uh, grow, 
and regenerate. Like this is something that you can grow from your food scraps and you put it right in your window and it's going to keep giving to you like three or four more times. So and that's the gratification and the instant that satisfaction of knowing like, hi, I did this. People need that confidence. And so that's a good starter plan. I know that you're also dedicated to eliminating food waste, right? And you just discussed like one way that a scrap turns into a green for tomorrow. Are there other ways that food waste um, intersects with the businesses that you've been running? Yeah, so I am a regenerative organic farmer um, in practice and soon will be certified. So those things are super important, you know, helping people to understand how they can compost. But I'm also playing around with this idea of seed saving, teaching people how to seed save at home and us creating a seed bank of sorts through the scraps for through the waste from people's houses. And I'm going to trial this with our next CSA. But I want to I want everybody just bring me your seeds, like bring me whatever seeds you have. I guarantee you that's going to be a game changer in teaching people the under, and understanding what a scrap is and what, you know, what we can eat and what we can use to continue eating for generations to come. And then outside of that, c- composting. Composting is huge for us. We have a large space in between our two greenhouses at our Farmer John at Elkins property. And that's where we compost at. And I'm working with the local township there to develop a program in that area for composting. Next CSA, next year, we're absolutely rolling out a composting program where everybody's going to get their own bin, five gallons, and you bring it back to me when you come and pick up your food each week. We dump it and give it right back to you. We have to, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like just thinking about the, the, all the waste that is taking place on this planet. Um, There, people are going to eat the way they know how to eat. It's very much so how you were raised and your culture. So maybe you don't use this part of the plant and I, I never can get you to because that's just not what you do. But you can at least bring it back to me so that I can put it in our compost. And then that very same food scrap is now going to be used to help new plants grow. And that's the part of regeneration, like regenerating um, our land. And there's not a lot of topsoil that's left on a grand scale when you think about our earth. And it's just because of the the, the conventional ways of farming. And so as a small farm, I, I truly believe that small farms are the way to keep our planet healthy and happy and also the people that inhabit it. And um, in moving away from these these large farms, macro farms, and that all grow with chemicals. And yeah, we just got to we got to change the way we're doing things. Has the city of Philadelphia been supportive of the work you've been doing? Um, I'll definitely say there are people within the, the administration that have been uh, supportive. Supportive in uh, dollars? No, <laughs> not yet. We're not there yet. I guess there's ways that you have to go about that. But I also, because of the the type of entrepreneur that I am, the type of person that I am, I've never waited for anybody to do anything in order for me to do the things, right? So I have, you know, great people that are in alignment with me from senators to, you know, state city council people and township council and all of that. The governor, you know, all these people that, have, that know who I am and that are appreciative of my work. You know, I've been pretty much bankrolling all the things for the last three years. And then the end of January 31st was when I got my very first grant from the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture. And they gave us $50,000 to help do the work for redefining the corner store. And that is a grant that requires the next step. My, my The board for the nonprofit is actually now doing a big um, fundraising push. We're working through a fundraising push being led by Brandon Ritter, our COO, because that money, yes, it's great that the, you know, the 
state is starting to give money to urban agriculture infrastructure, but it's still a restricted grant. So you don't actually get like the funds to do the work. You have to do the work first. And then they're like, okay, here's 50 grand back. (laughs) So for a small organization like ours and, you know, that is has been powered by a small business, you know, writing grants and doing the work. That's very difficult. Well, everybody who's listening, it's an amazing um, project that you've created on so many different levels. And so you could just repeat to people in case they want to make a donation to your 501c3. Absolutely. Yeah. Like right on our website, farmerjohnphilly.com, there is a donation link that leads you to, to learning more about what it is that we're doing, what we're fundraising for. Our Instagram is very much so enlightening as to all the things that we do. Um, the Instagram is also really fun. Thank you. I work very hard on that. So <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, I always end the show with one question, which is, Is there someone who you admire, a woman you admire in the arena of hospitality who you think deserves more recognition and to be known? Absolutely. And, you know, it is Farmer C. Farmer C is a North Carolina farmer. She actually just started farming recently as well and decided that she was going to start small and she wanted to do medicinal farming. So she has all a, a wellness brand that she's built, also a tea company and based in North Carolina. And she is just amazing. She's a breath of fresh air, another black woman um, who's doing the work and not being stigmatized by the the terrible heritage and past of farming and what it has, especially in the South, which is why it's so big for me. I grew up going to North Carolina every single year as a child because my family's from there. And, um, you know, it's just really lovely to see her persevere and be greater in the spite of everything that, you know, being a black woman in America, what that comes with, and still being able to run a successful business in the South. So definitely reach out. Green Heifer Farms is the name of her farm. And Farmer C is her name. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thanks Thank so, for, for joining me today on Speaking Broadly. It's been a thrill to get to talk to you. I'm here in Philadelphia at the Story Factory, which is an amazing place to do a podcast. I'm usually in my home base, which is in uh, Brooklyn at Roberta's at Heritage Radio Network. But uh, today in Philly with the great ladies of Philly for the Sisterly Love Collective. Thank you so much for joining me. And all of you listening, have a fantastic week. This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.